Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Live, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, today with me is 1978 Indiana Mr. Basketball, a member of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, and also he is the commissioner of the National Basketball League of Canada, Dave Magley. David, thank you so much, our commissioner, I guess I should call you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and, and talking about the game of basketball and how you got to where you're at. Thanks, Billy. I'm, I'm excited to be on it. And anytime I can talk to somebody that, about uh, basketball in Indiana or basketball from Indiana is, is an exciting thing to me because that's one thing I know we know back home is, is, our, is our ball. Speaking of that, take us back to, you know, being born and raised there in northern Indiana. Tell us a little bit about your family and how you got associated and interested to the game of basketball. Billy, I was... Um, I'm the youngest of four children, and my oldest brother, Patrick, was a really good high school basketball player. He was passionate about it, and he's seven years older than me. So when he was a junior in high school and I was in the fourth grade and, and he was playing for the sectional championship, his teammate sister was my fourth grade coach, and we decorated our, our room in red and black, and, and our street was either red and black decorated for, for LaSalle High School or blue and white for baby blue and white for St. Joe high school, depending on where, where your, where your affinity was. And that's kind of where it starts becoming the dream, right? Is all I wanted to do is run through that hoop one day and, and hear the Red River Valley play and be able to play at the, in the Lions then at LaSalle high school. And, and what was the atmosphere like when you would go to high school games before you actually got there? Oh my goodness. It was, well, when, when I was really young, it was, it was more about, how do we steal the nets? I was my, my brother Billy and I, the, the, my other brother, were, we were we were challenged by my oldest brother to steal as many nets at every away game as we could. And <laughs> what that meant is when the goals would go back up into the stands, we'd wait till the crowd got crowded, and then we would sneak up there, and I'd get on his shoulder, or we'd climb up, and we'd start stealing the nets because 
during the summer, we were going to burn those nets up on our playground. And, and, you know, back then the nets were made out of cotton. And if you played a lot of ball on an asphalt court, a week was pretty good for you to keep a net. And even after you tape it up at some point, it just won't stay. So we would spend a lot of our time early in the year, early in my life, just stealing basketball nets. But as I grew older, I just got enamored with the, with the energy that came from watching a game at LaSalle. The, the the pep band was unbelievable at LaSalle, and we had a dancing lion that you could only imagine in the 70s could really jam, and he he would get out there. Our, our school was fairly integrated, and, and I'm pretty confident it was a black eye in that lion. Because <laughs> he could flat out jam, and, and, and it would just be so exciting that, that we just couldn't wait to go, and then as I got older and got to the 7th and 8th grade, I started seeing guys like Kyle Macy come in my gym and play and say, Man, wouldn't I, wouldn't it be cool to be as good as that guy is one day, or or watch John John Laskowski play, or Steve Abernathy? Or there's just a, a a large range of of great players I got to watch over the years, and, and and I just thought, man, if I could be as good as one of those guys one day, I'd be really fortunate. You know, you know, the state of Indiana has so many great parts of the state with schools that have great basketball programs. Did you ever feel like that part of the state kind of beat up on each other and there would have been a lot more, you know, championships and, and a lot more stuff up there if you guys didn't have to beat up on each other all the time? Billy, I think there's 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 no doubt that, that, that when you're in a conference like the Northern Indiana Conference that has, the, you know, that the, the, the fed three sectionals, um, but we fed sectionals that weren't in our own gyms. I mean, we we had nine high schools in my city that all played at uh, our eight high schools that all played at, at, at Notre Dame's athletic and convocation center. And you know, if we were fortunate to win there, the regionals would be played there. And then everybody in Northern Indiana came to play in our gym and, and at Notre Dame as well. Then we would go to the semi-state of West Lafayette at Purdue and and the state finals in Indianapolis. When you compare that to the other conferences that have Anderson and Marion and Logansport and, and, and Richmond and Newcastle all in the same conference, but all host their own sectionals and regionals, and some of those host their own semi-state. That's a little different feel than what we dealt with. We had to beat the heck out of each other to get out, and you know we were fortunate if one of us came out of the, the, the regionals alive, and it, it did make it really, really competitive. But you know, beyond that, when there was only one class, it was a big deal to win a South Bend sectional. Let me tell you. You know, I've been fortunate to play on a lot of levels. I don't know if winning the sectional was one of the highest points in my basketball life. It was just a big deal because it was our town. There were eight schools that fed it, and those those games were pretty much sold out. So when you won the sectional, everybody in your town knew what you were doing. And being fortunate to go to the semi-state a couple of years in a row, that was pretty cool too because now the whole town starts pulling up in one school. And it just makes it a, a, a unique environment and time to grow up. You know, in, in learning your basketball skills and kind of honing your game, was there a player, anybody you looked up to? Was it your brothers? I mean, who did you kind of, how did you get your shot? How did you, you know, how did you get that tenacity for rebounds? I mean, who did you get that from or look up to or get that from? Billy, there's no doubt that that, that, that my brothers and my sister, my, my sister who didn't play ball, but but but, but she made certain I, I got my academics and stayed on me. My father was real driven. My mother was driven. But my brothers, really pushed me. My oldest brother, Pat, was um, a real no-nonsense guy. And so, you know, for me, my brother Bill and I would play one-on-ones for hours. And, I mean, we started on our own on our own garage where he would take a, a Clorox bleach, bleach bottle and, 
and cut off the top and cut off the bottom and nail it up just high enough that he could dunk it and I couldn't. And then we would play the tennis ball for hours. So we, my father would joke that we would break more show shovels shoveling from the garage back to the stoop than we ever did helping him get in the driveway because it was just, if it could be clean enough for us to shoot that tennis ball, we played every day. Um, and then we would go outside and we'd shovel the snow outside and play. But for me, if I could be as good as my brother Pat, my brother Billy was just a dream. And my brother Pat he was six 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 seven and really long and hard to get over. And I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I, I, I was I was going into my freshman year, and, and I couldn't dunk the basketball without running, without you know I couldn't dribble it and dunk. And, and he made me catch the ball at half court and run and dunk it in the summertime to the point that the asphalt was about 107 degrees and my shoes started melting. The bottoms of my shoes, you could, you could literally, they were starting to melt because I was out there so long. And I got so angry at him that I threw the ball off the backboard and took off running for home. And man, he caught me about 20 steps later and gave me the what for and told me to get back on that line and try it again and try it again. And and ultimately, I did it, and then and then I did it again and again and again. And before you know it, I forgot the whooping I took earlier in the day because I was so excited to be able to to dunk the basketball. And those are the ways you become great. I mean, in, in our life, I didn't grow up in, in an AAU era where I played in my own age group and somebody could say I was the best at anything. All I knew was that one day I could get on the main court at the school across the street and be able to compete against the adults. That was my goal. My goal wasn't to to be the number one player in the state or the country or nationally ranked. All that stuff didn't exist when I was a kid. All that existed was, could I one day be one of the first picks in the pickup game across the street? And that's exactly how we, we got better, as the adults taught us how to play. And, and there's a toughness that comes. There's a uh, Today's vernacular would be dog. There's some dog and swag that we had back in the day that, that sometimes is lost on kids today because they're they're so busy with their own, you know, rankings in their own age groups and we didn't have that do you think your high school career would have been any different if you could have played uh, you varsity you know because you, you had to play freshman ball at one place and then you went and played varsity at another correct yes and in and, and, and retrospect do you feel like that if you could have played all four years do you think that would have been a different outcome for the team because you guys were so but, successful no we wouldn't I, it wouldn't have made a bit of difference because i wasn't good enough as a freshman okay. i mean I went to South Bend Central High School as my freshman year. For We had so much talent that there were two teams. Instead of being the Bears, we were the Bruins and the Grizzlies. And I think I was about the seventh player picked uh, in my high school of uh, those two teams. Uh, by the end of the season, I was one of the better players, and I was good enough that my high school coach said, we're getting ready to go for the sectionals. Mags, you want to come practice with the varsity? And I just remember how much stronger and more athletic those guys were from the end of my freshman year. Now, the good news is, from that time frame to the beginning of my sophomore year, I'd earned the right to, to, to make the varsity. And about the Christmas time, I was able to earn my way into the starting lineup and never look back. But, you know, my coaches gave me nothing. You had to earn everything. It was, boy, you're a big guy. you got a lot of potential. We're going to try to dream a big dream for you. They were like, no, you've got to beat out these great athletes that you're going up against. And, and it was never made easy, which was good. It makes you stronger and better for it. In, in retrospect, also, do you guys did, did you think that you guys should have won a state championship while you were in high school? I absolutely think my junior year in high school, we were a state championship team. Um, we lost in the semi-state finals to EC, EC Washington, and I was the leading scorer and rebounder on the team and played all of about a minute because I dislocated my shoulder and hurt my ankle in the same play in the earlier game that day. 
So, you know, it came out, Griff tried to start me. I tried to play left-handed. I couldn't run. Drake Morris and, and Giselle Foster and, and, and these guys were from East Washington were really, really good. And, and they ended up losing in the state finals to Carmel. And even without me, we were right there. We, I think we might have lost by six or eight. And you just got to think that, that you know, uh, uh, an all-state-type player like me added to the team that we had would have made that an even closer game. And, and that could have been our state championship team. And, and, and I, I kind of blew that by getting hurt earlier in the day. Did the family travel with you when you guys would go uh, and play your tournament games? You know, Billy, my, that was an, that was an emotional time in our lives, specifically that tournament, because my mother was dying of cancer and she was in a wheelchair. And years later, I would get a note from my from my uncle who had passed, and my cousin had found a note. My cousin Steve Maggie had found a note that said, "My mom had written to my uncle and said, golly, I sure hope that the, the LaSalle can win the state championship, and and that Bill, my my dad, could could find a, an ambulance to take me to the game because." I probably won't be there next year, and I just really want to see him do it. And it was just a pretty, pretty emotional time. At what point did you get on the radar for uh, uh, college basketball? You know, I did. Uh, in, in being an Indiana player, you weren't allowed to to play in a lot of all-star events. And there was you had to be in a at a camp in the summer. It had to be contiguous to the state of Indiana, so you could go to a camp in Kentucky or Illinois or even Michigan or Ohio. And there was an All-American Top 30 camp in in, in um, Canton, Ohio, that I went to, and and I was most outstanding performer. And there's probably ten McDonald's All-Americans at and there, and I had a really good week of the summer camp. And all of a sudden, the letters started just flowing in with, you know, here's a six-eight guy that can that can shoot it pretty good. It was decently skilled. It, Maybe his best days were ahead of him, so all of a sudden, it, it got pretty exciting. Did you sign early with Kansas? No, I didn't. I I, um, I signed after my senior year. It, it, it came down to Kansas and Michigan. Uh, Johnny Orr was at Michigan, and and then Purdue tried to sneak in at the end. They had Fred Schaus had left, and Lee Rose had just come in, and and I really liked the fact that Lee at, at North Carolina, Charlotte, at UNCC had, had allowed. Um, had allowed uh, uh, Cornbread Maxwell or, uh, to, to, to play a point, uh, to play two guard at six nine, and I thought, you know, at six eight, I'm really more of a two than a, even a three, and definitely not a four. And was really excited when when Coach Rose came in and said, "You could be our big guard, and you could play against Magic, who was a year ahead of me going at Michigan State." And, but by then, Kansas and Michigan had done so much time with me that. It was a little late in the game for that conversation, so I'd already committed to KU in my heart, and that's where I, where, I, where I needed to go. You know, starting out your senior year in high school, did you have, was it even in the back of your mind that you were going to be named Indiana Mr. Basketball? Was that a goal that you had? Was, you know, and, and be egotistical, I mean, because you, you were the best that year, and that's why you got the award, but did you even think about that? Honestly, no. I mean, I, I, I hope maybe I could make the All-State team. Um, uh, I wanted us to be as good as the previous team. We lost seven seniors that all were, you know, my, my coach played an eight man rotation and there were seven seniors that played that year. So if we could be good enough to get back to the state, you know, to the semi-state again, we were pretty darn excited. I started the year really bad. My mom was really sick. And I remember Judd Heathcote came to watch me play at Fort Wayne Southside. And I was probably, you know, four for, for, for 28. I was just awful. And, and, uh, we weren't very good. And, uh, we were a little above 500. 
I, I, I hurt my shoulder in the, in the semifinals of the holiday tournament against Riley. And it looked like my senior year was going to be a bust and was done. And then my father found a brace that I could play with, with my shoulder. And the day I put it on, I had 38 points and, and things started clicking. And the next weekend I had 40. And before you know it, I started scoring a lot of points. And then uh, the second best player on our team, who maybe was better, I don't know, a guy equally as good as me, named Donnie Candy that would go to Oklahoma, he flunked off just before the state tournament. And that left about 20 more points. So my coach came in and said, who wants to pick up the slack? And, you know, one guy said, I could take a couple. And I'm like, well, I've got the other 22. Let's go. And I averaged 40-plus in the, in the sectionals and regionals and, and, you know, was able to build a big momentum. And I think the story of my mother dying and, and, and me, I, I, was, I scored 40, day, 40 points in the first half the, the night we buried my mom. And, and, you know, I became kind of a legend off of all that story, you know, playing in a shoulder harness and a, a good player flunking off and not being very good early and peaking late. And you know, those are the things that Indiana writers love. So to be honest, I don't know if I was the best player in the state of Indiana that year. You cannot say with certainty that I was better than Wallace Bryant or Landon Turner or Ted Kitchell or Randy Whitman or Pancho Wright or John Hegwood or Landon Turner I mean, or, um, or, um, uh, you know, Thad Garner, um, uh, you know, Greg Jones and Dale White and Kirk Clawson, Jackie Moore. Those 11 guys were equal to me, if not better than me, in, in their accomplishments. And then, quite frankly, after, after high school, all of us went to Division I schools. All of us started at our schools. All of us were major contributors, and about four or five of us actually got a cup of coffee with the NBA or would have if, if we'd have remained healthy. Do you remember where you were when you were told that you were Mr. Basketball and remember your feelings that day? Yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, Billy. I was I was called to the school by my high school coach, George Griffith, who's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he would later go to to, to, um, to Richmond and coach Chad and Woody Austin, his second Mr. Basketball. And and he, he, he called me and he goes, I want to talk to you early. I, he had said, the way he broke it to me, he said, Max, uh, how do you feel about uh, going to, uh, to, the, to the Kentucky Derby, which was going to be a, there was a Derby classic that was going to be played that weekend for all Americans. And I hadn't been invited. Wallace had been invited, John Hegwood, and maybe Poncho or somebody else was invited, but I wasn't from Indiana. I was offended because I thought I was as good as those guys. I don't know if I was better, but I thought I was that good. I said, well, I wouldn't be interested. And he goes, well, Magda, they've never not had a Mr. Basketball playing that. I said, what's that got to do with me? And he goes, you're, you're Mr. Basketball. And then he goes, but they're going to announce it next week. And you're not allowed to tell anybody. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to be able to tell anybody. So I, 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 I took off and saw my best friend and Jimmy Selka. And he said, what do you think? I said, what's going on? He goes, man, I'm not allowed to tell you. Hey, I got Mr. Basketball. But don't you tell anybody. By the, end of the, by the end of the day, I think I told everybody. And a couple of days later, I hadn't told my dad because he was a bit of a, of a talker. But uh, a couple of days later, I came home. My dad was crying in his lazy boy because it was the front page of the paper and and he was proud of me and angry at me that I hadn't told him. <laughs> what was the Indiana All-Star experience like? It was it was awful. It, it was really bad. Uh, I handled it really, really emotionally immature. After my mother passed away, I didn't have much of a of a guidance at that point. I was I was uh, selfish. I was I was Hurt by the way, I, 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 I felt that, that the coaches thought that there were players better than me and that 
you know, I should have been catered to differently. And it was really, it was really a bad experience because of the way I made it. It had nothing to do with the coaches. You know, now that I'm relatively an adult at 56 years old, I can look back and say, I could have made so much more out of that experience than I did. And instead I was frustrated. You know, there was an article in the paper that, that said that, that the team was so deep that they may not start Mr. Basketball. And I remember being so, so hurt by that. And, and, but the reality was our coaches hadn't put that in there. It was just a writer that decided to, to pontificate on how good the team was and how deep the team was, and it was that good. But, you know, it was um, – I made some lifelong friends from the experience. I, this past summer I was with Wallace Bryant. I was with Poncho Wright. I was with John Hegwood. As I, as I did the NBL Canada Summer Combine Series, when I would go into a town, I was in Calgary, which is where Hegwood lives, he came out and spent the spent the evening with me, and we went to dinner. And Poncho Wright came out to see me in L.A. And when I was up in in Sacramento, Big Wallace Bryant came over and hung out with me. And you know it was great. I I, I follow Landon pretty closely. Obviously, Randy's still doing real well. And you know I know that 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 that, that Ted was doing some color commentating, and Kirk Hawson's a heck of a businessman. Um, you know I mean the, the ones that I've been able to t- stay touch with has been. They're great guys, and they've all had successes in their own right. So you load up the car, and you head for the great state of Kansas, and you get there. Are you, are you nervous? Are you, uh, do you feel like you've made the right decision? And I think you, you, you find your wife there pretty quickly, right? Well, I, 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 met, my, I met my smoking hot wife on a color blind date, and I just I had never met anyone so beautiful as she was. And I knew the day I met my wife on my recruiting trip to Kansas that I didn't know if I was going to KU, but I knew I found my wife because I never met anyone that was that pure and that pretty. And, and I can tell you, Billy, without a doubt, 40 years later, she looks like the day I met her and I look like I ate that guy. It's not a bad deal for her. <laughs> um, but, but, but I'm still pretty darn crazy about it, if you can't tell. And I, I went out to Kansas, and i got to tell you the truth. I was going to go out there and teach those rubes in Kansas a thing about basketball because I'm from the great state of Indiana. And you guys clearly don't know much about ball. And after about half a season where my snaps were rusted shut because I was never getting my warm-ups off, I was going, wait a minute, it's a little different than I thought. And um, I didn't play much as a freshman. Um, they, uh, there was a fight in the locker room against Oklahoma State between two guys at halftime. And the guy said, Mags, run out and, 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 and run interference because if coach comes in, he's going to be so upset. And so I run out to stop the coaches, and I started thinking, heck, I haven't been in in five games. You guys need to get in here. They're fighting. They're fighting. <laughs> and, and coach walked in, and he, he looked around, and he said, I'm so mad at you all. I'm going to start him. He'd forgotten my name by then. And he turned <laughs> at me, and he, and, he, and he started me in the second half, Billy, and I got the first ten points in the second half and would move up to the sixth or seventh man on the team. And, uh, at the end of the year, the, the Big 8 Skyriders could be a little brutal. They have their all-ugly team and all-airport team. And I made the all-disappointment team. And, and uh, you know, a lot of hype coming in, Mr. Basketball. And then a week later, I got to play a lot, and I made the postseason, all-postseason tournament team. So it was a good end of my freshman year. The, the bad news, though, is that all it did was raise expectations so that I could be the first and only two-time winner of the all-disappointment team because I just raised them high enough that I could disappoint them again my sophomore year. So, you know, it I was a great experience out of Kansas because, like I said in high school, I had to earn everything. Coach Owens, Stead Owens, my coach, made me earn everything. I, I, he never gave me a break, and, and that was good. It, it's, 
I, I, I don't play a lot as a freshman and do make all conference postseason tournament and sophomore I start twenty games and junior I'm on a really good team again where I'm scoring about ten and seven, ten and six and, and then senior year I, I was leading the league in, in, in scoring and rebounding most of the year and had earned the right to that because I, I had to go through some stuff to get there and that makes you a man, that gives you a rich experience and you know, again, looking back on life, I, I would not have wanted a different career than I had at University of Kansas. And what was it like to play in Fog, Allen? And was the was the, the the intelligence of the game of basketball about the same in Kansas that it was in Indiana? Well, it's funny. They they, they asked me one time when we were going to play at Rupp, what does it feel like to play in front of twenty one thousand? I said, what's the difference if I play at twenty one thousand or play four thousand up there, a three thousand seat gym in, in Plymouth? I mean, a, a, a packed house is a packed house, and, and honestly, the 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 the, the aura of, of of the field house. Well, you know, as, as an older person, I'm just enamored with it. When I played in it, I was so into me and doing me and playing, playing the game and competing. It was just another court with lights on. And and when all those fans start cheering, they become the leaves on the trees that you listen to when you're a young kid on the outdoor courts. And all you hear is a shh. To me, that's just a bunch of trees out there waving at me playing and I would go back into my Walter Mitty days playing in my own mind and playing the game. And, and, and that's kind of how I did. And I, that's how I, I was always a, a guy that did well when the lights came on because it was no different to me. I was always playing like that. Did you get any grief about leaving the state of Indiana and playing someplace else? And how did you handle it? Um, you know, I, I think I think that uh, there was a guy named Steve Yoder that used to coach at, at, at Ball State. And, and, and Coach Yoder tried to get me at the very end, and then he said, you know, you'll be back, they all do. And I remember after my sophomore year, I was going to transfer to Indiana State. I was not happy with my playing time and the way I thought I was being treated, and, and thank God I didn't because it was a, it was a great, uh, great experience in Kansas. But I was at uh, Terrell Holt watching the sectionals, and Coach Yoda was there scouting uh, a big kid that played at Terrell Holt South, and I'll never forget just seeing him. And as soon as I saw him, the memory came back to me but you'll be back. They all do. And I remember turning to my girlfriend who would let her become my wife and saying, I can't transfer. I just can't let this guy win. There's no way I'm not going to stay there and, and play the rest. And, and you know what? I had two great years to my last two years at Kansas and thank God I stayed. Not that Indiana state, I just reconnected with coach Hodges from Indiana state, a Facebook friend. And, yeah. and I think that would have been a great place. And they were still fairly off the high of, of the Larry bird time and needed, you know, another player or two to get back there. So, it was definitely appealing to me, but you know what? There's something to be said for stay, staying there and staying the course and, and and coming out the end better for it. I think that was Kevin Thompson. Maybe they they were there watching. Uh, it was... that, that, you know what, Billy? It actually it absolutely was. And he ended up passing with cancer yeah. the, the next couple of years. I, I he had glasses. I remember him like he's yesterday. Yeah. Uh, what was your feeling when you saw that? You guys got to play Indiana, and did you go into that game any different than you went into any other game on Kansas? Well, I, I was I was probably more tired. We we had played an overtime game against Chris Mullen and, and St. John the night before, and, and we were playing in the Madison Square Garden, and I didn't sleep at all because I was so excited and I was so anxious because uh, between um, between um, you know Ted Kitchell and Randy Whitman were both great players on that team that. You know, I, I really wanted to show them that I was good enough to be Mr. Basketball. And unfortunately, when Landon wasn't playing because he had been in the car accident the summer before. And, you know, but I was just excited because I knew back home everybody would 
would be remembering that this game forever it's out there the, the, the day I got to play against IU and it was it was a, it was a, it was a pretty ex- exciting time for me and and you know but I was anxious because they're the best man to man defensive team in the country and I'm a pretty good zone shooter but I don't know if I'm a great man to man player and, and so I was really anxious they were going to shut me down and in front of New York City and all that stuff so I was I was I didn't sleep well the night before to be honest. Uh, now, besides playing at, at you know Fog Island Fieldhouse, which is fantastic, by the way, did you have other favorite places that you'd like to go to on the road that you felt like uh, uh, the rim was more kinder to you than other places? Well, that day in Madison Square Garden, the rims were awfully kind to of me. Um, I had I had thirty two and played pretty good. Um, we, um, I don't think I ever played anywhere better than that. And, you know, I I I, I will tell you, I, I had a really good senior year in, in college. But nothing compares to playing in the high school gyms in South Bend and, and, and going down to Plymouth and Washington and going to East Chicago, Elkhart, Elkhart Central and East Chicago, Washington, and Roosevelt, Michigan City, Austin. Those gyms were so full of rich heritage, and they always packed them in when we went there. So, you know, you go, I remember as a sophomore going to South Bend St. Joe and a packed crowd and being so excited during the B-team game, I had to go in the locker room because I just kept getting getting too anxious. I was so ready to play because it was just such a big crowd to me. And, you know, those, those were the gyms that, that I shot especially good in because quite frankly, the, the visual is easier. The bigger the facility, we played in the Superdome my junior year and, and, and an NCAA tournament. It's just like the goal was floating because there was no optics behind it. And having, having, getting to play in those high school gyms where there's people behind it goes back. Those are the best places to play. Did you get married while you were uh, still at KU or Kansas? I mean, I'm sorry, Billy. What'd you say? Did you get married while you were still playing ball at uh, Kansas? I, I still didn't get it. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Did you get married while you were uh, still at Kansas? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got married between my junior and senior year in college. I, I was, I was. Um, my wife had graduated, and there was no way I was leaving her free. She had to, <laughs> I had to snap that up as fast as I could. And um, we got married, and you know, b- before we got married, I think I averaged nine point eight my senior, my junior year, and I averaged seventeen seven or something <laughs> as a senior. And I averaged four or five rebounds and averaged almost ten as a senior. And my GPA was a three point zero, and I averaged a four point zero. And I don't know if I was trying to impress her or just get her from not being mad at me or whatever it was, but. Uh, you know, I'd heard about people getting married and having worse years, and right. I was not going to have that put on my wife. So it was pretty – I really wasn't an NBA prospect before my senior year, and then I had a really good senior year and, and, and you know, I moved up the ladder pretty quick. And, and tell us about that. What was, your, what was your mindset or what did you look forward to or what did you have to do for that upcoming draft? Well, I, it was it – was, um, I, I, I showed well in the combine. I, you know, I, I'm, 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 a, um, I'm a pretty decent athlete in that – I was, uh, you know, I could run a mile in under five minutes, and, and, and my vertical jump had gotten a lot better over the time. I, I worked really hard. I was an average athlete coming out of high school, and in order to earn playing time with Coach Owens, he was determined to make me an athlete. So I spent hours on the road hustling and running and, and extra line drills and, and lifting a lot of weights and, and made myself an athlete. And, and then, you know, at the Chicago pre-draft camp and at Portsmouth, I showed pretty good. And uh, it's funny, the, the the vertical jump test I cheated really good on. So everybody was talking about this this white kid with a 38-inch vertical jump. And what happened was I'd have my shoulder operated on, so I, I lifted my shoulder for the first test with the right arm as, ta- as high as I could. 
but my left arm was about four inches longer than my right arm, by the way, I could reach. So then I jumped with my left arm, and everybody was talking about this amazing vertical jump that this guy had when I cheated the system. I was so proud of myself. And so what was the draft process like? Well, it was, you know, back then, uh, I'd heard I could go as high as 17th and as, and as low as 30th, and um, that's, you really shouldn't show up unless you're going to be a top 10, 12 pick in New York City. So my agent, you know, we, we sat by, and, and we and we watched the draft and, and and you know back then the first two rounds were on TV and and you know when I when they called my name we were I remember we were first time I ever fasted and prayed was for a couple of days before that draft because I really wanted the opportunity to go to the right place and and the coach called after the draft and was excited and and I was just thrilled to be drafted uh, the first round pick was a guy named John Bagley so. I sometimes think they only drafted me because we because our names rhymed. So it was the Bagley and Magley duo were coming to Cleveland, and um, you know it was uh, the guy that drafted me, Bill Musselman, really liked my game a lot. Unfortunately for me, he got fired probably for drafting me so high, and um, you know it, 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 it you know didn't become a great NBA career, but it was it was still good enough to have a good experience. And, and, and do you, do you, in retrospect, is there anything that you would have done different or, you know, tell us a little bit about the playing days in the NBA. Well, you know, honestly, there was a, the, the thing that was probably most significant and made it my greatest sport accomplishment had nothing to do with the game. I was, I was, we were, we were a bad team and, and, and the, the muscleman thought I was a, a, a two guard, three guard, a wing for sure. And then Nisaki, Tom Nisaki took over the, the team and thought I was a power forward, which, you know, you could put Carl Malone's body on me. I'm not comfortable going inside. And, you know, after about half the season, Nisaki called me up to the office. We had played the Lakers the night before, and I got to play a little bit. and was, I was okay. And I thought he was going to tell me he was happy. He goes, boy, man, you're doing great. We're going we're gonna to make you a guard, and, and, and we think we want to sign you to it. We want to guarantee next year's contract. And I'm going, wow, this is exciting. He said, the only thing you need to do is you need to fake an injury and go on the injured reserve list because we need another forward. And, and, and we just think Larry Keenan's available. We'll put you on the IR, and, and you can come off in 10 days. All you got to do is fake an injury. And I said, well, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You can guarantee my contract, and I can make $120,000. But if, but if I'm compromising for that, why would I do that? And then he got angry, and he said, if you don't do it, you'll never play in this league again. I'll get you back ball. And I got excited and I said that, you know, you don't know my God. My God is bigger than you. And if my God wants me to play in this NBA again, there's nothing you could do to keep me out of the NBA. And I, and I walked out of that after I got cut proud. I got my brand new car that only had 49 more payments to go and drove home to my brand new house that only had 30 more years to go and looked at all the brand new furniture and started crying when I saw my wife said, I got cut. And you know what? My God didn't want me to play anymore in the NBA, and that's okay because today I'm one of the few people that have been married to the same person for 35 years that I've ever got to experience that NBA. And, and I wouldn't trade the wealth I have as a man that, that, that I could have got it with, with fame and fortune in the NBA. And, and, and that's the greatest victory in my life because I stood up for something that was right, and I believe I've been blessed by it because when I look at my, my four amazing kids and my – three amazing grandchildren and a fourth on the way. And, you know, I love my kids and my kids love me and my wife is still smoking hot. And I go, how can you have any more wealth than that? So, you know, when I look back on it, 
I wouldn't have changed a thing. I'm glad I got that challenge, and I'm glad I did what I did. You know, tell us about, uh, uh, you know, what does your wife do? What do your kids do? Did any of them pick up the ball and play basketball or sports? You know, fill us in. Yeah, so, so Billy, my, my oldest daughter, Jennifer Gabu, uh, or Jennifer Magley, I'm sorry. Jennifer Magley is, is the um, uh, she is the an NCAA tennis champion from the University of Florida. She was a seven-time All-American at Florida. You could get it in the spring and the fall seasons. She didn't finish her, her senior year. She graduated at Christmas and went on the pro tour. Uh, she now runs an amazing uh, uh, opportunity for people to work out in Indianapolis called Open Gym Indy. And all you do is go to OpenGymIndy.com and you can train at any of 40 different gyms in the city through her program. So you basically sign up for her for one low cost. And then you pick any of these boutique gyms from spinning to to Muay Thai to boxing to uh, to uh, all these different things. And she's a really successful business person there in, in Indianapolis. And then my second daughter, Jessica, was the fourth leading scorer in rebound. No, I'm sorry. The second leading scorer in rebounder in state history in Florida. She scored over 3,500 points in high school. And in Florida, you could play in, in the seventh and eighth grade in high school if you were the school was attached, if the junior high and high school were attached. And, she went on to play at Rhode Island in Western Kentucky and got her master's degree. And now her name is Jessica Galvin, and she lives with her husband Michael out in, out in um, California, about to have our first grandchild by her. Jennifer has two grandsons for us, uh, uh, Blake and Grant. And then my oldest son, DJ, uh, he played basketball at Western Kentucky with Courtney Lee from Indianapolis and, and with Jeremy Evans, went to the NCAA tournament, started on those teams, and then transferred to Tulsa. and played a couple of years with some good players there that are in the NBA, Jordan Clarkson and Jerome Jordan. And he actually lives in Indianapolis and he's got my granddaughter, uh, Sadie Grace, and they, they, they live up in Noblesville. And then my youngest son has finished his, his fourth year playing basketball at, at, at Park University and NAI school in Kansas city, Daniel, and he's going to graduate and we'll figure out what his next step in life is. But yeah, we've been fortunate. All four of them are getting in and out of college without paying any money. You know, you know, speaking of your next step in life, what was that like and what was that process like and what did you go what did you go into? Did you go directly into coaching after the NBA? No, I didn't. I I, I, uh, I started having babies. You really couldn't have a whole lot of I remember Larry Brown got the job at KU and he offered me the grad assistant job that that later uh, that, that that summer um, um, uh, uh, John Calipari would take and and the next year, uh, uh, Bill Self would take. And I turned those down because I cheated Bunny. I don't know if that was a good move because they're both doing quite good these days. But <laughs> I, I, I turned down those jobs to go into business. And quite frankly, I did business for 20 years. And then in, uh, we moved to Florida so my oldest daughter could train at the Nick Molitary Tennis Academy at IMG. And um, when she went down there to train, we we uh, heard of an opportunity to uh, put our kids in private school because our Daughter Jessica was pretty good, and we wanted her to play varsity in the seventh or eighth grade. And that coaching job at Braden Christian became available. And in Florida, you don't have to be a teacher to coach. So I went, I went straight into the coaching pro, uh, ranks uh, and coached there eleven years, and had twenty-seven kids go to college, and went to eight uh, elite eights and, and, and four state finals, and you know had a good run. And then one of my players, a young man named Jamison Tipping, he's from Canada of all things, and. He had moved back home, and his, and his father uh, was starting a high school prep school program in, in Canada and asked would I come up and kind of consult on it called Orangeville Prep and Athlete Institute. And 
they've got one of the best prep programs in the world right now, and asked me would I uh, be interested in helping them bring a pro basketball team there with the Brampton A's and was their first GM and head coach. And then last year we got to the semifinals and had a 3-1 lead and lost it. And he volunteered me to be the, the commissioner. I think if we'd have won the championship, I'd still be coaching. But, you know, I, I became the commissioner after that May, May 28th, and I haven't looked back. Tell everybody about the National Basketball League of Canada. I mean, I mean, how many teams are in it? What's it all about? Is it exciting? Is there anything that you can compare it to? So, so the National Basketball League of Canada is, first of all, Canada, the, the fastest growing, most popular playing sport to participate in the, in the country is basketball, over hockey, over soccer, over everything. It's just a really popular sport in Canada. There are more NBA players from Canada than any other country in the, the outside of the U.S. There's more Division One players coming from Toronto than New York City right now. So basketball is really hot in in, in Canada. Uh, it is for us right now. We go from Windsor, which is by Detroit, all the way to the to the Maritimes, which are further east in our country. They have a whole other time zone. Uh, we've got eight teams. Um, that we're into our fifth year. Uh, the, the, our, 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 our flagship franchise will outdraw any franchise of pro basketball in North America that's not in the NBA. So the London Lightning will outdraw any D League team. They'll average 7,000 people a game this year. Um, well, that's, our, 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 our range is from 500 to that. So some, one of our teams plays in a smaller gym that they own themselves, and, and the rest are in the thousands. And it's a it's a great place. We can keep up to eight Americans, and 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 it's really pretty darn um, pretty darn uh, popular up here. And, uh, we have the same salary cap as the NBA D League. Uh, our games are all uh, live streamed on on YouTube, and we get about a half million viewers a year to watch that. And it really is an exciting league to be a part of. Uh, we've got new teams coming in next year, and as we grow this thing nationwide, we think it could be. You know, right, right behind the NBA. I mean, it could be that big of a, of a professional league. What do you think about the um, – two questions here. What do you think about the state of Indiana high school basketball, and what do you think about the game in the NBA today? Well, I, I, I think both are um, – both have probably taken a little step back uh, from, from, you know, fundamentals and competing to athleticism and highlights. You know, uh, uh, ESPN's uh, – you know, the advent of cable television changed the world of basketball forever. It made it a global game, made it popular, but also made highlights really, really, really special. So people sometimes would rather be on the highlight than they would win a game. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with this. There's some wonderful AAU programs in, in, in the world that develop guys. And, and there's some in Canada that have been amazing. The CIA Bounce program in Canada has, has generated a bunch of great players. There's a lot of programs that aren't. And, and part of the difficulty there is that you'll see um, guys playing four and five and six games in a weekend, whether they win or lose. There's no consequence to losing anymore for these young men in the summertime. So what you end up with is there's nobody competing. If, if I played as a 14-year-old with grown men and I cost us to lose the game, I'm going to hear about it, and I'm not going to get to play again the rest of the day. There's a consequence to losing when you play that way. We had to win, or we were going to sit a long time at the playgrounds. So it's a, just a different mindset. That that's how the summer basketball goes around the world, including in Indiana. So between that and, and, and class basketball, probably killing some of the local excitement. Although, I will tell you, I went to the, 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 the Noblesville Fishers game this year, and it was pretty darn packed, and it was a pretty good game. So 
I don't know. That's the first Indiana high school game I've seen in a long time. So I don't know if it's that far behind where we were. I think you also ran into another Indiana Mr. Basketball too, correct? Yes, I did. <laughs> it was. It was. He's. He was. He was. He was. Mr. Tolbert was a heck of a player, and he was actually Mr. Basketball a year ahead of me. And um, it's the first time I think it, we might have met in the NBA once. It's the first time I've seen him since then. And yeah, he looks like he could still play, and I don't. <laughs> so I really don't like guys like that. But yeah, he's. He was really gracious. It was great to meet him there. What was it like to get the phone call? And do you remember the phone call that you were going to be inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was great because it was uh, my, my high school coach, Griff, was the one that called me. And it was interesting because I'd asked him about the Hall of Fame when I went in the Silver Anniversary team. And he said, okay, well, you need to write yourself a nominating letter. And, and I'm like, what? I've got to nominate myself. <laughs> I'm not nominating myself, and I refused to do it for several years. Uh-huh. And then he called me, and he goes, Max, you know, this is not just about you. You've got your teammates. You've got me. I'd like to have some of my players in the Hall of Fame. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll write, I'll write, I'll write the, the, the letter. And, he, and once I wrote the letter, he pushed it through. He just took it because he used to be the president of the High School Coaches Association, and it was a pretty easy deal to do at that point. But it was really, you know, I didn't, I'm like, ah, oh, some all of fame. It can't be that big a deal. And then I went there and I saw the numbers of people. And Billy, it was so humbling to see Dan Walkie, my junior high school coach, and, and, and Greg Humbicki, my ninth grade coach, and Bob Berger and Steve Bennett, my and Mark Johnson, my, my assistant coaches, and, and George Griffith. And then and then, I, and then I looked over and I saw Tom DeBates, who I, who I played against one of the coaches. And I saw uh, just just, you know, all of these great South Bend figures that came down, and I was the only one going in from South Bend. They just came down to, to celebrate me, and I was just so humbled by that because, you know, I I, I didn't think I was that special. And for them to come down and 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 and, 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 and Tom Hess, the coach from Clay, all those guys to come down and, and give that kind of respect to me was just was really humbling to me. It really was. Well, Commissioner Coach Magley, I thank you so much for your time. I, I think you were my fifth interview when I was with a, another particular station, and, and I was probably a little bit nervous and jittery, and we didn't hit the record button. So uh, three years, maybe two years later, you took some time. I appreciate that. I think everybody's going to enjoy this, and uh, I thank you so much for your time. Well, Billy, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you didn't have it on recording, because then you can't tell whether or not the story's going to sing or if I made some changes in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Billy. I appreciate what you do with it.